Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. I can't be what the system expects me to be, which is just like sitting here and being lucky that I have children. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. How's it going? It's going okay. How are you? Good. Do you want to tell our new listeners a little bit about us? Sure. We are Carling and Michelle. We've been best friends for over 20 years. We've been through our fair share of trauma. So we decided to start a podcast where we speak to other people who have interesting stories to tell and no topic is off limits. Yeah, that's us. We were every week for I feel like a while now we've been talking like a little bit of fun fact. And I had my work Christmas party last night. So I don't know that I'm like hungover, but like I definitely ate McDonald's for breakfast to feel better. So do you remember the first time you were ever hungover? Yes. My friend Tana and I decided to drink at her house. We drank a lot of Zambuca. Yeah. So it was nice and creamy. Drank a lot of that. And at the time, her dad rolled his own cigarettes. Ew. So we thought it would be cool to roll our own cigarettes and smoke as well. We were like 16, 17. You mean 18, um, the age, the legal yeah, age. Yeah, legal age, legal mm-hmm. age, yeah. Um, was it one of those so, contraptions? Yeah. I used to yeah, make like cigarettes for my grandparents. Thing. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. There's nostalgia. So we had a sleepover, we drank, and then the next morning we woke up, we were super hungover, and her furnace stopped working. <gasps> and it was like the middle of winter, so we were freezing and hungover. Oh, no. what about you oh that sucks i got my first job when i was 14 but for legal purposes i was 18 and Mm -hmm. it was at a restaurant and so i was the youngest but i got invited to a house party it was apparently very funny to get the new kid drunk and so i was drinking wildberry coolers which is just like kool-aid on steroids with it's a heartburn in a bottle i feel like i was so hungover, but I had to work the next morning. It was a breakfast restaurant, like a, it was Perkins. So I had to do the Sunday morning breakfast. I 
couldn't stop going in the back to throw up. I was like sobbing because I felt so sick and I was so young. And my boss, Cora, swung open the staff bathroom door and was like, you're put on probe. No, what did she say? I was like, I was put on leave, like unpaid leave for two weeks. And I was just like crying, saying thank you. Because oh I was so God. like I was so excited that I had to go home. Like I was just so oh young God. that I yeah, yeah, like I didn't need the job. Like it's not I had bills to pay. Yeah. And oh, so then I called so my crazy. mom and I was like, Can you come pick me up? And yeah, there like, were definitely a few times where I showed up to work either drunk or still drunk or hungover. I remember walking into Walmart one time. You know when you wake up and you're like, Oh my god, I feel great. Like I didn't yeah, even I don't even that's have a hangover, first but you're red flag. still drunk. Yeah. So I got to work as soon as I walked up to the girls it was just this like waft of alcohol oh god and then the hungover just like slowly crept in throughout the morning and then I ended up like in the bathroom and yeah yeah I was really worried because so last night was our work holiday party it's late in the year but Mm. we do events and so this was this is when a lot of industry people have theirs so it was so fun and People just kept giving me drink tickets for all the hard work I did in helping to plan it. I just always had a glass of wine in my Mm -hmm. hand. And like wine is tricky because it just goes down so great. By the end of the, we were like, we're probably not even going to stay that late. Like we're not into the dance after. I'm not into it. Sure enough, by 11, not only were we on the dance floor, jumping up and down to, what's that? Jump around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jump up, jump no, up, get down. down. Yeah, we were doing that. And yeah. then I went to get a glass of water and found myself doing a tequila shot with a bunch of the kitchen okay. staff. It happens. It happens. And then at that point, we were like, we should probably leave. We're too old for this at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, we got a taxi. I drank some water, took an Advil and woke up at nine. I said I had McDonald's for breakfast, but yeah, I feel okay. I don't like drinking at all. I'm more of an edible kind of girl. Oh, yeah. Last night after my little kids went to bed and my friend's little kids went to bed, she texted me and said, do you want to order Chinese food and get high? And I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Oh, my God. Her kids went to bed and then she came over to your house? No, I went to her place. The twins were asleep. Oh, okay. Kate was sleeping over at their house. The big kids just stayed home? Yeah, I was home by 10. It wasn't a wild night. Yeah. Amanda is, I don't know if it's dry January. She's sober right now. She doesn't want to drink for a bit. But she was was saying that she's sad she's going to miss out on Wet Wednesday. And I was like, well, we could do like a something and then we thought of wake and bake wednesday i love that so maybe we just have a wake and bake wednesday for one month instead of a wet wednesday i think that would be so fun because i think the giggles would be out of control i definitely i went to a dispensary after christmas and they were having a boxing day sale so i was like ooh, (laughs) let me just load up on these prices I actually prefer, to be clear, we're in Canada where this is 100% legal. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so concerned about legalities all of a sudden, but I 100 down your door. (laughs) (laughs) Get on the ground. (laughs) Like, I 100% would rather eat a piece of chocolate or a gummy. Yeah. It's a commitment to drink a whole bottle of wine. (laughs) It is. And then the morning, you feel like crap. And for me, it's like I eat it, I eat a gummy and I just giggle a bunch. And then I'm like, good. You just feel relaxed and happy. That's the vibe I'm going for. Yeah. 
What's new with you? I don't know. I haven't acknowledged it yet, but I am a huge TikTok star as of right now. I posted a video on, I want to say Monday night or Tuesday night. Maybe it was Monday night. By the next day, midday, it was at like 100,000. And then I think by the end of that day, it was at half a million. And now it is very close to a million. Yeah. And it's like the dumbest video. Yeah. And they always say like the stupidest videos go viral, which is so true. Because I like... I talk about mental health. I talk about motherhood. I talk about being a widow, like all these things. This video is me taking a jar of salsa, putting it into a blender, blending it and putting it back into the jar. It was like seven seconds and it's gone stupid. So yeah, that's so funny. That's like that reel that I posted of you on the doorbell camera. Yes. It is less than four seconds. Yeah. And I more just posted it because it made me laugh. Yeah. And I think it's over, it's almost 50,000 views. Other than that, nothing much. I had an ultrasound this morning on my neck because there's like a lump situation. So I'm just pretending that's not happening until I know yeah, what it is. Yeah, best to just disassociate until you know. Better to best. underreact than overreact. I'm no doctor, but that's my advice. I love it. A couple things. Last week, we forgot to do two important things. A shout out to our newest tier three ultimate safety patron who is mm-hmm. daniel hollins so Woo-hoo. thank you so much we've got to read a couple reviews yes we so do. i thought we could pick four because they're shorter and we didn't do any last week if you want to leave us a review or a rating it is so helpful and it's probably one of the easiest ways that costs nothing you just click this link you go to rate this podcast.com slash i did not sign up for this and it'll recognize what kind of device you're on and it'll give you a list of options of what you could rate it on so you don't have to know necessarily it'll guide you through it mm-hmm. it helps us get more traffic to our website it helps more mm-hmm. people find our podcast and makes us feel nice so i know it does. if you haven't already please go to rate this podcast.com slash i did not sign up for this yeah we're gonna go way way back okay so this one is from francette who's in canada and we got five stars and they said you two make me laugh every single week i wake up every tuesday looking forward to your episode oh that's so nice yeah this one is from tace eliza liz i don't know if i'm saying that right I found this podcast through Amanda Loves to Hate Teen Mom. A very interesting idea for a podcast. Really enjoying it so far. And five stars. Oh, that's so nice. And then this one is by J.V. Ryan in the United States. We got five stars and they say amazing podcast featuring awe-inspiring guests and talented hosts. Oh, that's us. I Like, unbelievable. That's so nice. And then our next one is from Dr. KQ. Yes. I've listened to podcasts for six years and absolutely love this podcast. The humor brought to otherwise serious situations and poignant questions allow the listeners to observe that even the worst scenarios hold lessons that people are strong and resilient. Well done. I can't wait for more episodes. Five stars. We know for a fact that she's a real doctor in in like real life. She Which is. makes us a doctor recommended podcast. Doctor recommended. There you go. So don't want to brag. <laughs> what but more do you? What more do we need? Yeah, if a doctor recommends it, you should consider doing it. You should. 
good for your health. What else do we need to talk about? I mentioned the Wet Wednesday and the Patreon. We've got a Patreon. It is a really cool way to support the work that we do. It's a monthly subscription and it allows you, depending on which tier you choose, you automatically get two bonus episodes a month. You get access to exclusive content. You get discounts on merch. We do a once a month video episode. We've got Mm. episodes on there that you're never going to hear anywhere else. It's pretty great over there. And you get instant access to all of the episodes as soon as you sign up yeah and it's over 70 now yeah all right enjoy the rest of your day we'll talk to you soon hello allison hi how are you i'm good how are you good thanks my god this is our third time now trying to record this with my computer giving me trouble yep But I blame Mercury. It is in retrograde. And somehow I feel like that is to blame. This is how we're starting 2023. So we're getting all the issues out of the way first. Yeah, it is very nice to meet you again. Why don't we have you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and then we'll get into your story. Yeah, perfect. My name is Alton Diddy. I am the founder of an organization, a Canadian organization called Moms at Work. Moms at Work is Canada's first professional association for working mothers. So we offered paid programs like career coaching and community and courses, but we spend all the rest of our time doing advocacy work. So we work very closely with different types of organizations and how to improve working conditions for working parents. We consult for the government. We're heavily involved in legislation and things around pay transparency and pay equity. So that's what we do when we're not helping women make more money and get better jobs. We're trying to change the system at the same time. I'm from the West Coast. I'm from Vancouver and I'm currently living in Toronto. So we were chatting about this. I go back and forth with my three boys who are 11, 9 and just turned 5. Oh, wow. Busy. That's busy. That's hard to travel with kids that age. That's the bonus of COVID that we really didn't travel for four years. So I like skipped the horribleness of having a tiny toddler and now he's 5. And you can (laughs) like, yeah, give him a tablet and he can watch a show. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) That's amazing. It's wild to me that in now 2023, we are still fighting equal pay amongst genders. Yeah. And it's wild to me that we are a country that has two pay equity commissioners, federal and one in Ontario, and we still are not even close to closing the gender pay gap, which is why we're really big into advocating for pay transparency, because it really is one of the quickest ways to close that wage gap. Oh, yeah. Because they can't Mm -hmm. deny it if it's transparent. Yeah, but also, like, why wouldn't you want to know how much money someone's going to pay you to do a job that you're applying for, right? Like in 2023, that's ridiculous. The whole thing's ridiculous. Yeah, some companies get real cagey about it, and I find it so weird. Yeah, no, it's a super weird topic, and my background is in HR, but I came from healthcare where everything is unionized, and everybody knows Uh, what everybody makes. And then when I flipped to corporate, they were like, yeah, but don't tell. I'm like, but why? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, but we know, so why are we telling people? Anyway, it was a very interesting and not very compelling argument that they made wow to ignore them yeah yeah that's interesting and sad that we even need an organization like this but i'm glad that we have it because it is needed yeah and so your story what did you not sign up for lots of things but (laughs) most (laughs) life mostly when i was 33 i suffered a traumatic brain injury so my little one 
I only had two kids. They were three and one at the time. Just to give people context so that they don't freak out that if you get hit in the head by your kid, you might end up in this condition. This was my eighth concussion. So I had played competitive sports before and had just walked through it. And my son jumped into our bed in the morning and flung himself back and hit me in the face, like hard enough that it cracked my cheekbone when we're talking about force. I didn't really think anything of it, except it set into motion because of this cumulative trauma, they always called it, that I ended up with a traumatic brain injury and a seizure disorder and lots of other things that kept me off work for over three years. Wow. Would this have happened anyway? And this just fast-tracked finding out or did it trigger it actually happening? So now the joke with my neurologist is like, you can't even play golf. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Like, 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 just don't do anything. Think that they were surprised. I think that most of my concussions before were like, I'd had some serious concussions and then I hadn't had anything in a very long time. So I wasn't on anybody's radar. And in actual fact, the only reason they really found out something was wrong was like three days after I had been hit in the head. I had a knee appointment that I didn't want to miss at Toronto Rehab. And so my husband took me there and the doctor who saw me was actually a neurophysiatrist. Oh, I had half my face was black, right? Because I'd been hit so hard. And he said, you know, like, what's going on with your face? And I kept, I don't remember any of it, but I kept repeating things. And he brought me like the, they have like a chart they use for brain injuries to have you identify like the hands on a clock and whatever. And I couldn't read. So he basically kickstarted me being like put through the brain injury system in Ontario, which is like fairly comprehensive. But I ended up starting having seizures two days later. So it was very quick and very fast. And I was very lucky that I forced my husband to take me to that knee appointment. But yeah, I lost the ability to read. I lost the ability to write. I didn't I couldn't find my way <laughs> yeah I, I, I couldn't find my way anywhere I couldn't cook and really have like any time I could do anything I was at high risk of having a seizure so it was like my whole life just fell apart and did you it. know in the days between like when you got hurt and the knee appointment had you noticed some of these things I think post-concussion you're basically like you just can't even function because right. you have like, a permanent headache And I hadn't really tried to do anything. I was basically bedridden, but I've been waiting for that knee appointment for six months and my phone kept like dinging. And I said, okay, let's go. And my husband dropped me off. And the fact is that I couldn't even get home from the appointment. He had to call my husband and come get me because I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where I lived. Wow. And did your husband notice anything about your behavior? Again, I hadn't really done anything because I got hit really hard. And that morning that I got hit, I dropped my son off, my little ones off at daycare and I came home and then I just fell asleep and I called in sick to work and then I just couldn't, I just didn't go back to work. So it, but it just started spy. Like once you start seizing in terms of treatment, they can't really do anything for you until the seizures stop because you're re-damaging things every time you have a seizure. I couldn't even do any rehab for eight to 10 months because they couldn't get the seizures under control. So what was it exactly that was causing the seizures and what had happened to your brain? They have no idea. So most things about concussions, most things about brain injuries, they just don't know. And really from their point of view, like it's accumulative stuff. And so they're not really everybody's so individual and your brain's so different. Like me not being able to read is usually very temporary. And so they were waiting for me to go out of it. But some part of the left hand side of my brain had been damaged because of the hit. And they don't know if it was damaged before. And this just pushed 
something more, but I still can't read. Like still like they don't consider my reading functional. So I have a lot of aids and things like that. And they did anticipate that a lot of this stuff would get better. But for context, like they put me onto long-term disability without any question. And I worked in disability claims for a long time. Like the people who get approved instantly, serious brain injuries, cancer diagnoses, and like MS. And so the fact that they approved me with nothing, I was hysterical. I was like, oh, oh. my gosh, I'm going to be like this forever. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. like, and my husband's working a full-time job and we have a three and a one-year-old and he's taking care of me. So I'm going, this is, this can't be my life, right? Like yeah. this isn't going to be a thing. So even today, when you say you have trouble reading, is it comprehension? Is it word recognition? So the acquired brain injury program, which they have is I was in it for two years. When I talk about like the level of functionality that I had to regain, it was two years of working with like behavioral therapists so that I could put on shoes, put on my coat and pick up my kids from school. So it took me like six months to be able to pick up my kids from school and cook a simple meal because I couldn't remember things. Like I would forget things mid (laughs) Yeah. Mid prep. So it was very dangerous for me to be doing some things. And I had all the fears that I think anybody would have about being able to care for myself and care for my kids. But from the reading perspective, it took about two and a half years for me to reach like a grade two level reading. And I'm, I, I have two degrees. I have a history degree. And so for me, like nothing was worse than not being able to just pick up a book and read it. That felt like like a punishment. Nothing else seemed to be a focus. I was just so devastated. And now I can read for short amounts of time. My brain gets really tired really quickly for things that require a lot of focus. So I have software and that typically reads to me. And an assistant who helps me read emails. (laughs) Yeah. Super helpful. Especially with today's technology, there are so many accessible programs, apps for people who might not be able to read because of a sight impairment or that's got to be yeah, really helpful. And I should say, I'm like, for me, the opposite happened. Like I became a much stronger writer because I couldn't read. I like wrote. I did the opposite, but it still requires me to have someone. I can't read a lot of what I write. So I have it like read back to me and things. So like everything that like you would need normally that you would read and would be very easy take me about four times as long. Wow. I can't even imagine the level of frustration being a well-educated, literate adult and then not not being able to do that. Yeah, it's been very interesting. Like with my work through Moms at Work, I and like I've had several people ask me to write a book. And I was like, do you understand the amount of energy it takes for me to be able to read my emails? And I'm like, writing a book isn't isn't a priority for me. And I'm not going to say it's impossible. But I was like, that would be a very big commitment for someone who like was told they would never work again. Yeah. So I just find it people with brain injuries because you look fine, right? Like mm-hmm. externally, you look normal. Everybody thinks that you're fine. Everything's back to normal. So my telltale signs are like my left arm doesn't work properly because I still have neck issues from the hit. So like people figure it out that way because my arm just stops working. But I sound fine. Right. And I look fine. So they're like, oh, so everything must be fine. And I actually have a lot of disabilities here, but just (laughs) I just don't talk about them a lot. Have you faced a lot of discrimination or where people just don't like believe you or you're constantly having to like advocate for yourself because it's not I find so my background is in actually hilariously is in disability management so and accommodation so that was my love that was my area of expertise so like I know what my rights were and what I'm entitled to what I find frustrating is that like when I do talk about people want to fix me. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're like, yeah. oh, I know a guy who has a thing. And have you tried visual therapy? And I know people do that with the best of intentions. But like yeah. my head injury was seven years ago. I'm as 
horrors I'm going to get in terms of like recovery. And also there has to be a period of acceptance, right? Where you're like, this is who I am. I'm good with who I am. I'm great with who I am. I'm a bit different than other people, but that's okay. And so that sort of like repetitive need to normalize me makes it hard because though yeah. there's something broken with me or the fact that I've done all the things that I've done, people are like, despite a head injury, I'm like, actually, no, I'm like, <laughs> actually, let's like not do that fun game. I'm one entity. And although I'm proud of the things I've accomplished, I'm not going to give credit to the fact that I had a brain injury, that I did all these things. I think it can minimize the accomplishments you've had when you tie it to a disability or an injury. Yeah. And I think what I've realized is a lot of people who have been through that stuff. So I guess for context, is like I woke up every day thinking that I might die, like for a very long time, right? Because these seizures were very severe. They told me I couldn't pick up my children. If I dropped them, I could injure them. I couldn't work. That's the first time I hadn't worked yeah. since I was like 14. And so anything that I started doing, I did with this timeliness of I need to do this now because tomorrow might not be a thing. And fortunately, like all the things that I've done with Moms at Work have happened very quickly. And now I've realized in so much of an unhealthy way because of this drive to just get things accomplished. And I burn out other people trying to work at that speed because I just am like, if I wake up and I can't read it all tomorrow, I'll be screwed. And so having to work with, I had an amazing brain injury therapist, you have to move past that, right? You'll run yourself into the ground if you if your whole life functions like that and then you miss all the joy because you're just trying to right. yeah. finish stuff up before your time comes. That's a really exhausting way to live, I imagine. Right. And for business, I also wouldn't commit to doing things long term because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to finish my commitment. So for me, I ran a one year program, which I think put me into the tailspin because I thought, oh, my gosh. And I actually have a plan. I was like, if I die in between oh, this, no. this is what should happen. And I was like, OK, I think this is becoming a, like a significant barrier for me that yeah. I need to work on this. And that's seven years post-injury. For most people, especially people who have been injured or have disabilities, there's that sort of discussion internally around this is who I am now that I know you're supposed to have and be done with, but it's constant, right? Like constantly redefining and rediscovering who you are. That happens with most people, but I think it's especially trying when you do have various disabilities that like change their mind every time you wake up about what yeah. it's going to be like this morning. And what was it like coming to terms with where you'd made the comment of this is as progressed as I'm going to get in healing? Were there different stages of realization or acceptance? I imagine there's a grief that comes along with it. Yeah, I think there was. So long-term disability is, this is the thing that I'm like, I do not tell anybody to do this. But at year three, like I'd been through rehab, I'd done all the things, I finished behavioral therapy, I, I'd done all that work on myself. And they've said, you know what, you need to be prepared that you're not going to work again. And, and someone, I don't even remember who was probably a case manager, said, but you're so lucky because you have children. And I thought, Ooh. F this. Yeah. Like, just F this. That, like, I've been written off at 35 as, and, like, good thing for me because I have children and my life will have meaning. I'm like, I don't think so. And I turned to my husband and I was like, this can't be my life. I can't be constantly, like, proving. And that's part of, like, long-term disability is you have to prove how sick you are, that you deserve mm -hmm. to be on this program. And I said, even if I work part-time, even if I do something, I said, it just can't be this. And I said, I want to take myself off long-term disability, which is the stupidest thing that <laughs> anybody should do ever because it's guaranteed right. income, right? Tied to my old job. And I said, I just can't have this label anymore and I need to move forward. My husband, who 
could possibly be a saint was like, you do what you need to do, but know that we need to make this amount of money for our family. Know that this is a thing that you can't just be like, la-di-da, no more money. And I did that, but I'd had enough time to think and I said, you know what, I've done a lot of coaching in my job. So I started doing some career coaching, like really part-time because it didn't require me to read anything, but I have like deep connections in most labor markets. And I reached out to some old clients that I had worked with and said, hey, I'm free to do some like HR stuff, recruitment stuff. Would you do that? And I was only working about 10 hours a week and I did it, but it was it was slow, right. but it was enough for me to be like, see, told you I'm not because I worked in case management. I read all the things they were writing about me. I read all of like their diagnoses for me. My future was bleak. All of these things like they just had no, no I, idea or thought of like the things that I could be. And like reading that just broke me. And I was yeah. like, I can't be what the system expects me to be, which is just like sitting here and being lucky that I have children. So it was a slow ramp up. Moms at Work is like full thing is, you know, it took me five years. And I even now I only work 22 hours a week. I can't work any more than that. Like my brain just has enough. But because of that, I have six other people who work with me and, and it's been pretty wild and amazing. Yeah. How did you go from doing a little bit of consulting and coaching to like, where did the idea of Moms Who Work come up? So Moms at Work started in 2019 and I kept getting asked to speak at these like women's events and I hated them. I hated <laughs> them with the passion of a thousand oh, flames. No. And because they would ask me to speak at four and I said, you have to be with my kids at five. And I, someone said to me, don't you have a nanny? I'm like, no. And then I was like, oh God, none of these people had kids for people who did like nothing worked. And I was like, wait, I'm being excluded from women's groups? Like, how right. messed up is that? That, like, I don't even feel like I belong there. And anytime I did interact, I was encouraged not to talk about my children. I was encouraged not to talk about this. And I was like, there must be a better way to do this. And so I just started a Facebook group. It was really small. And there was about 300 people in there for a long time. And I said, this is an experiment because all my clients are working mothers who feels like there's something wrong with them. And they're trying to make themselves fit into a system that wasn't designed for them. Like work is not designed for women and it sure as hell is not designed for working mothers, right? Yeah. It's not. And so my concept was like all of these women who were in this group were like mid and senior level. And I thought, what if we don't need them? What if we just need each other? What if we were like a feminine, like nepotism, but feminine? <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like that we hired each other and grew each other and hired and supported each other and kicked do open doors for each other because we fought so hard to get here. What's the point if you can't bring each other? And it worked like it worked really well. My positioning and knowledge around like political and policy work in that became very helpful. And then we got a lot of opportunities during COVID to be very much involved because working mothers got thrust front and center during COVID about how when you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file crappy everybody had it and how nobody was doing anything so we did so that's really when it like blew up so we went from 300 to 13,000 people in that Facebook group now and we have wow. about 25,000 followers collectively and we plan to double it this year I think working moms are tired of being sold things and they need someone to stand up and fight for them
Like yeah. someone needs to say, this is not okay. The wage gap between men and women is not actually that big for single women, but the motherhood penalty is real and it tacks on about a 15% difference. That's huge. Wow. So it's huge. 15%. That is huge. It's huge. And so I started talking a lot about things that I knew very well about pay transparency and that. And like it really works, right? Like we're expecting pay transparency legislation in three more provinces. We really need to empower people with education to understand the systems that, you know, they're fighting against. And so that yeah. the messaging to the people in our community is there's nothing wrong with you. Like you're doing nothing wrong. You're trying to exist and thrive in a system that honest to God was not designed for you, mm -hmm. right? Like the new world of work is like 60s. It's designed for like someone to have a stay-at-home wife. And like, even if you look yeah. at every CEO in the top 500 companies, all the women who are the top are mothers. And, but most of them are men and nearly all of them have a stay-at-home wife. Right. That's yeah. how they succeed. So let's not pretend that everybody can make it. I'm like, this is a very specific way of living. And that's why we see so many women working for themselves now. But yeah, so that's the thrust of it all. Yeah. Can you maybe talk a bit about where that 15% starts to show up? Because you said it's not as yes. apparent with single or no. a childless women. Yep. But what ends up happening that this ends up being a 15% gap? So it's actually, so for each child that a woman has, you can expect to make 5% less than single men, right? Like, and that's so just because time lost. No, it's because of the discrimination base. So women are seen mm. as less competent the moment they have children. So they've done lots of studies and it's two parts. So one is called the motherhood penalty, where once you have kids, you're viewed as less committed to work. You're viewed as being divided because you should be concerned about what's going on at home. So like you're not as committed to your job. Three, they view women as then not wanting to quote unquote climb the ladder because again, they should be caring for their children. Whereas when men have children, we see the opposite and it's called the fatherhood bonus because then men are oh. seen as more as a provider. So they're seen as a provider. They're seen as more mature. They're seen as more stable. They're seen as better leaders. So when men have children, the opposite happens. And we see this over and over again. You'll see that most men in leadership position are fathers because there's still that bias and that stereotype that really pushes that agenda. So all the things that we hear about like mothers are like held against us and all the things that we think about as good fathers really work in the world of work. Again, because that's how the system was designed for the caretaker and provider to make more money. And this goes back to like the 50s oh, when yeah. Yeah. like households needed somebody to be at home. Yes. And again, that's in the 1800s, whatever, that's not how work was divided it was very familial and it was like group working but once you have this new notion post-war era of like the nuclear family where one person stays home and one person goes to work that creates a whole different realm and i always tell people i'm like like rosie the riveter didn't go to work just because she like picked up a thing and started working at factory one day for the first time ever in u.s history they had publicly funded daycares so that women could go to work that's how that happened because i was like yeah. let's, let's not misrepresent what's going on here and then when everybody came back from the war all of those things disappeared because it was expected that women go back to home and to somewhat extent today the same is true we see the blatant discrimination of mothers in the workplace we see it all the time we've worked on thousands of lawsuits and just even in anecdotal things like we know that the number one off-ramp point for women is when they go on maternity leave because of the way they're treated not because they don't like work but it's like the disgusting things that are said to them and the way they're treated really so oh, like yeah. when they come back from maternity leave? yeah so moms at work did the first survey of women's experiences during maternity leave and 95 percent of women said they received no formal support none 
like during this process. And 40% said they considered quitting during the return to work process. So during that like two months going back to work, four out of yeah. 10 people decided that they would like, they would rather quit than do this. Wow. And it's not because they were like, oh, my dream of being a stay at home parent. Ow! I'm like, right. I didn't go to university and spend like $30,000. So that was never my goal. That's nothing I ever wanted. And you know what? For people who choose that, absolutely. But for a lot of these women, it wasn't a choice. And the number of women who are laid off or terminated during the maternity leave still like still remains like exceptionally hot. So infuriating. Yeah, it is absolutely infuriating, which is like why I'm lucky is because despite all of these things that like, I'm going with, I'm like, I feel like female anger is discouraged in every way, shape and form in society. Mm -hmm. We are not allowed to be angry or emotional or cry or anything. And the rage I feel... <laughs> When I hear these <laughs> stories and I view Moms at Work as my community, I don't view it as my audience or even really as a business, which wise I find women's groups so incredibly frustrating. I'm like, these women are just money for you. I'm like, you have the opportunity to change people's lives and you're not. So I am hell bent on making sure that people understand their rights and opportunities at work. And at the same time, really trying to actively work within those systems to change this so that we don't have to be having these discussions. And I think both are possible. But in order to do that, you can't take corporate sponsorship. You can't take all those things because then it silences you. Like you're not allowed to talk about the people who give you all the money, right? Which is yeah. why Moms at Work doesn't do any government grants because then it silences you against same things against the government, right? And so what do you see as some of the solutions for that you would see as being successful that would start changing this system? So one, we've always talked about pay transparency. I think pay transparency is one of the quickest ways to close the wage gap. So what we know is that women are less likely to apply for jobs that they don't have 100% of the qualification. Which is I've heard the that. first, yeah, you're, it's, I've recruited for over a decade. It's not a lie. Like the things yeah. men will apply for, I'm like, oh, sweetheart, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, that's not a thing. And I used to have to go and like, I would write a job description for someone internally and have to like, tap them on the shoulder and say, can you please apply for this? And they're like, I'm not sure. I'm like, I actually wrote it for you. So maybe you could just apply and make my life easier. <laughs> so really, that's the first part. The second part is, though, is what happens. It's cumulative, right? Like if you're already underpaid at your last job and you go in and they say, what are you currently making? Which is something mm. that recruiters love to ask and is hopefully going to be illegal in many U.S. states soon. You're constantly underpaid, right? So if you say, oh, right. I'm making 66 and you go on and you say making 66 and they offer you 67, I'm like, then you're constantly going to stay underpaid. Whereas with pay transparency, they have to offer you a range. They say, okay, actually, like this, the range is 80 to 100. Then you know what you're applying for and you know the range you're going into and that everybody's sitting in that same range. And people say, oh, pay transparency wild and whatever. And I said, yeah, but that's what unions do. And much of the Canadian landscape is unionized. So everybody in unions know what everybody makes. Every nurse yeah. knows what a nurse makes. Teachers, engineers, UCFW, all of these huge railroad workers, they all know what each other makes. So it's very strange to me in corporate that they don't. So that that's a quick way. We know by the end of 2023 now, because there has been a really huge push that we've been involved in too for pay transparency, that by the end of 2023 in the U.S., one in four people will be impacted by pay transparency legislation in the U.S. And in Canada, Ontario has pay transparency legislation. They just haven't passed it. BC is writing it. PEI passed it. And I know Manitoba and Saskatchewan are working on it. So we'll be in the same situation very soon as well. And the feds are have already are bringing it in. So it's happening, but it's a it's a piece. And people always say it doesn't solve the whole problem. And they say, yeah, but if we wait for the whole problem to be solved, we'll be waiting for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So let's like pick a few things that seem like really good ideas. Then the other thing is we're working very closely, like we were on the EI panel, like EI roundtables on fixing employment insurance, because you know what? Like 
maternity and parental leave aren't unemployment. Like you still have a right. job. So in my mind and in most of the people who involve, it doesn't make sense to roll them out under EI anymore, but to roll them out in like special programs where like CERB came from and to let people work while they're on like on maternity leave, right? UK, you can work up to 18, what they call keep in touch days. So you can stay oh. connected to your workforce. You can go in for some training or follow up with, go for client dinners, whatever, to keep women connected to the workplace. And then it opens up the like communication lines. There's a lot of really easy ways to make maternity leave especially since they're so lengthy, easier for men and keep them connected to the workplace, which is like a big problem. But these are really easy fixes, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm much more of a quick win person, right? I like people to see the movement. Otherwise, people get very distracted and disappointed that we haven't closed the gender wage gap. I'm like, we can chip away at it really quickly. Right. We just have to stop getting distracted. Yeah. <laughs> stop getting distracted by feel- the big thing. Yeah, it feels like such a double-edged sword because like society's agenda tells us to get married, buy a Uh house, have kids, all these things. But yeah, as soon as you start accomplishing it, you're punished only if you have a uterus and you're the birth giver of. Yeah. And then it also seems we have these social services to go on maternity leave, which I know our neighbors in the U.S. don't don't really have that at Uh all. And But then the double-edged sword is that we are missing those critical connections and staying. I've never had kids, but I know a lot of people, they get really nervous and unsure about coming back from maternity leave because they feel like almost guilty that they've been gone for a year or more. And that's the thing. I'm like, those things are, those are valid feelings. And they're in many cases, they're correct. People Mm -hmm. like when you're gone for a year, it's a long time, but there's lots of easy ways to fix that. Right. The, what I tell people is I'm like EI as it was formed, was formed in like the, in the seventies. And so there's a two-week waiting period for EI. And do you know why that is? Why? Because you used to have to mail in your EI form. But Right? And so they kept that two-week. Yeah, because everybody forgot why it was there, right? Because soon computers came and actually they narrowed it down to one week. Do you know why they narrowed it down to one week? Why? Is when they started doing parental, like paternity leave. Men were taking leave and they were all out of sorts because they were losing a week's pay. So, of course, when men started screening, they got rid of it instantly. So now there's only one week left. That's hopefully going to be gone soon. But the other thing that is the rise of self-employment and get the gig economy. EI is not available to self-employed or gig workers, which is also not good, but they're not quote unquote employees. So, So EI needs to be overhauled. It is being overhauled in in what I think are some pretty amazing ways, but that every major set of policies needs to be looked at in the context of where we are now. Nothing's the same anymore, so hopefully you should change them as we grow and learn and retool things. But like overhauling EI is not a small task, but neither is it insurmountable. Like it's just a bunch of policies. That's how I keep everybody grounded and was like, well, these are very simple problems that people like to blow up and point fingers and make them very complicated. But when you do that, you staple any sort of chance of yeah. by like overcomplicating things. And so I aim for those like low hanging fruit, which I think is the best way to do advocacy and really educating people on all these things that we just talked about to be like, this is not your fault. You can and should be very frustrated that you're paid less. Than these people but let me tell you why so that when you're working with younger women or you're working with different people like you can knowledgeably talk about some of these things and how to fix them right it's not enough yeah. just to scream about things do you think that there's been a shift since the introduction of parental leave so now like both parents are able to take paid time off it's been slight what my goal is is i'm like quebec it the even the language that they use not french but the language is not 
if you're going to take parental leave, but when, right? Like mm. it's very sh- simple shifts in language. And the uptake there is, I think it's like an 80, 90%. It's, a, it's outrageous. Like it's amazing what that how? this is happening. But really, yes, now that they introduce that six weeks of use it or lose it, right, in EI for men, yeah. I think that's smart. I think it's smart that if we want to see a more equitable society, we should be able to like really change how we view caregiving. But I think what will be faster than that is that, like, we really are like the sandwich generation in terms of working. The way that we know it is that there's going to be such a hit of senior, like, caregiving that the workplace will become different because for many men, they're going to become caregivers for the first time in their life when they care for their parent. Mm, um, and we're already right. seeing this shift because yeah. you become a different person when you realize that chemo appointments happen whenever the hell the doctor says you have to show up for chemo. Now you become yeah. a more understanding and empathetic person. You get it and you feel like a jerk forever questioning the fact that some parent wanted to stay with their kid while they were at a hospital. That's when the shift happens is when it actually happens to other people. Otherwise, you're just like talking to a wall, I feel. And, and I by feel other like, people, yeah. I feel like we're saying men. Let's be very clear. Like every horrible boss I had was a woman, right? So yeah. I'm, I always say I'm like, it's not good enough to say you have a uterus and join the team. I'm like, lots of men right. are feminists and have been the biggest supporters of moms at work. And lots of women are not. So when I talk about feminism and that, I'm like, that includes men. It includes lots of people who are trying to work towards these things. I, feminism isn't like man-hating as much as people love to pretend it is. It's just really about including people in caregiving work and really removing those sort of like gender lines as we encourage people to like take up the trades or fill in gaps other ways. And yeah. I will say... $10 a day childcare, even though it feels like it's rolling out slowly, is going to fundamentally change Canadian culture, like the workforce, because of the ability for women to go to work. Fundamentally, we're talking trillions of dollars. And I don't think people realize that, like, how major this is. But it was and it is going to really change what Canada looks like in the next decade. I've only just heard a bit about it. Is that starting in 2023? It's already rolled out. So it rolled out in 2022. The completion date is like built for 2025 so that people can sign up and do whatever. But for some provinces, they've already gotten partial rebates back for daycares, only age five and under. But every province is so different that they gave a lot of, and it already existed in Quebec. So they gave childcare money for them to improve their system, not recreate it. Nova Scotia had a 99% sign-on rate. Alberta's pretty, really clipping along. But there are daycare deserts where there are no yeah. daycare spots and staffing's really hard. So the feds, despite lots of things that the feds don't do, what they did was they put a wage floor in it to say that over the next five years, they've got to bring it up to, I think it's $25 an hour to try and oh, wow. bring in and retain our child care workers because otherwise it won't happen. Like in the Yukon, yeah. child care workers are making 30 bucks an hour. So that's the sort of like shifting policy stuff that needs to happen <laughs> yeah. in order to do this because $10 a day child care is great, but if there's no spots, what's the point? So that's yeah. been fascinating to watch. So we work on a lot of things. I work on a lot of things in the U.S. as well because Canada has such advanced policy in some things and not advanced policy in other things. But like this work, not just Canadian, we work with a lot of organizations in the UK and in the US. And like, I think it's really important for people to really understand what's going on in the rest of the world so that you're not really recreating the wheel every time. Like you can feel like the UK is yeah. pretty cool things. Let's do those cool things too. Yeah. Like I've heard the UK even has a maternity leave that is for business for self. 
Yes, and which is like the exact same concept that we're looking at. They're just, you look at the Nordic countries and whatever, and I was like, you look at them and you're like, how, we're not even close to some of the things that they're being able to accomplish. Like unlimited sick time isn't even yeah. a question for them. And I was like, oh, we're over here like begging for three and 10 days. But like their policy is already written. So it's a very good starting place to say, okay, I'm not going to try and write legislation myself. I'm just going to wander on over to Denmark and see what they've got going on over there. What do you think about, I hear a lot of, People say that the reason it's harder to hire and promote mothers oh. is because they have to factor in kids' sick days as well as their own sick days. If they are taking a year off from maternity leave, they are one year then behind in career development or staying on trend. And so I guess what's the argument for that? Because I, I do hear that as, as something that companies say is the reason to maybe justify the wage gap. Yeah. So I'm like, the, that that requires an assumption that a woman is going to have children. So the motherhood penalty applies to women, even if they're not planning on having children. So there's an oh. assumption that because you're 30, that you're going to go off and have a baby. So just because you're like, I'm sorry, I'd never said any of those things. Or like, I have people in my life who are like, childless by choice and have no interest. And they're constantly questioned. When are you going to settle down? When are you going to have a baby? Blah, 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 blah. So there's anger and resentment on that side where they're like, that's not anything I want, but I'm not going to get the promotion because I'm 32 and they think I'm going to have a baby. So I understand that it's there. As someone who comes from like the disability field, who has worked with men who have chronic diseases and heart conditions or whatever, I'm the person who someone passes away and I have to replace them tomorrow is that for maternity leave, at least I know it's coming. At least I know yeah. it's coming. But the number of men who have heart conditions or whatever that have heart disease in their 40s, I'm like, actually is causing me a lot of grief in terms of when we talk about workforce planning, yeah. right? So as someone who does workforce planning, I'm like, yes, that is something that they do, but I know it's coming. <laughs> like, yeah. I know they're going to tell me it's pregnant and I've got six months to plan for it. Whereas right. Josh in accounting had another heart attack is going to be off for four weeks and then five weeks and then two weeks and then six weeks. I'm like, you can't plan for that. So yeah. for me, that's like a lazy excuse in terms of workforce planning. I'm like, that's something that you can know and plan for. But I also have people who, you know, as an HR person who have two sick parents who have Alzheimer's. I'm like, they use yeah. just as much sick days. They use just as many other days. That's how I look at it. And I was like, you don't know someone's situation when they walk into the office. You don't know yeah. if they've got four foster kids and two stepkids and a dog with diabetes medicate. Like, you don't know anything about that person. We do know that people in caregiving positions, they do miss more time. And then that becomes a question of like, well, what do we value then in society? Do we value that people are going to care for their loved ones or not? Yeah, because um, if we value it as a society, we have to accommodate it. We also have to value it in every part of society. We can't just be yeah. like, OK, that's fine as long as you like don't have a job. So we have to say, who are we as a business and who are we as a society? And I think the really big shift from like dollar per hour, like paying people for every hour they put in versus productivity has changed the game for that. Because mm. we know that actually women with children are some of the highest producing employees. So that's why mothers specifically do very well in tech, do very well like in engineering, very well in things like where there's not like quotas of time for money and in sales positions and stuff because like they get it done. And they just want to like, because we want to go home at the end of the day, but we get yeah. it done sometimes in less time. Like yeah. when I worked in insurance, like I was in claims for a bit and whatever. And I'm like, my main case load was three times all of my coworkers. I'm just like, I am here to do a job. I have zero interest in like making friends with you. I'm getting my job done. And then I was like, now what? Because yeah. I'm done. So we cannot discount the like productivity numbers that women 
specifically women with children produce. If we're really looking at like our dollar per hour kind of thing on like their heads and tails above everybody else, like that would be yeah. my argument is there's lots of other things to take into consideration around other employees. And then there's lots of things to take into consideration about people who are master multitaskers, who are used to doing things while distracted. Like those skills don't go away when you go back to work. Do you think COVID had a positive or negative effect on some of the arguments of like maybe moms can work from home and get just as much done? I think it's unfair. Like I think the problem with COVID is COVID wasn't work from home. Let's be very clear. COVID was like we are trapped together in a house while trying yeah. to work. That's not work from home. Like when I work from home, my kids are in childcare, And some people have not carried that assumption where they're like trying to do two things, which I think is totally unfair and actually terrible for your mental health and your child. So when I look at COVID, I was like, that was not a work from home experiment. That was a pandemic. So being very clear as like an HR person and a workplace accommodation specialist, I would never expect anybody to perform the way that they did during COVID on a regular basis. That's unfair and unrealistic. Like the number of mental health crises that people went into because of the pandemic is, you know, we will feel that forever. But what we do know is that companies have figured out that it doesn't matter if someone's in their desk from nine to in many industries, you can get things done even if you work early mornings or late at night. But what has not shocking is the pushback from employees on like the greater amount of flexibility they have. And this isn't mothers, this is everybody. And the fact that they don't want to do a two and a half hour commute every day and that there is a lot of power in numbers that we have seen from employees. But I think specifically for like special needs parents, it has been a gift so that they can be closer to their children and care for them and take them to appointments with more flexibility. But I've heard from a lot of working mothers who are like, I don't want to do this from home. I don't want to be yeah. at home anymore. I want to go back to the office and I want to have out conversation at least some of the time. So yeah. I think it's pretty consistent across most employees, not just working parents, that like most people like more flexibility and like the ability to work from home and like the ability to like do things. I think that's a big thing. But also I will say like for moms at work, I'm like from our surveys that we did of our population, remember that like many women carry frontline responsibilities. So they're nurses and ECs and teachers mm -hmm. and people who never have the opportunity to work from home, just as a, like a large percent of the population does. I'm always careful when I'm talking about flexibility for working parents. That doesn't mean work from home. There's lots of other yeah. ways that you can be flexible, but that many jobs in society will never be work from home. And like, how do we make sure that we're supporting those people knowing how valuable they are post-COVID? Yeah. <laughs> um, how do we retain those people while giving them some flexibility? I saw a lot of video content from women during the pandemic pandemic that talked about men working from home who were mm -hmm. parents were in an office with the door closed yep. working and it was the female pair the mother that was juggling the online school the childcare, the feeding yep. while also trying to work and then there's eve rodsky wrote the book like fair play and it's really about the mental load and responsibilities that women bear without being really asked or whatever, just by expectation. And I think that has caused a huge narrative shift from COVID for many women to be like, wait a second, for the number of women who are the primary breadwinners now is like striking and will continue to rise. But that hasn't changed the amount of unpaid work they're expected to do at home, which I found stunning. I thought for sure as women moved up, they would get more support or perhaps like things would readjust and it didn't. And so that was the one thing that I found a bit shocking was that like, despite that, despite the success, despite the more money, despite the all the things, the expectations are still there. And does that come from their partner at who's staying home? Or? I think it's a societal expectation, mm -hmm. right? For like me specifically, because me and my partner have like, clearly a very different relationship. 
But that's something that requires a lot of conversation and a lot of adjustment and a lot of like setting of expectations about who does what. But it is a big topic of discussion for a lot of people. And I think post-COVID, we saw the divorce rates that women are like, enough. Yeah. I never signed up for all of this. <laughs> yeah, I never signed up for all of this. And especially with the like mental health crisis that many mothers were going through, like things were forced to change. They had to or else yeah. people wouldn't have made it. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you think 11 years ago that... No, no, I did not think... Th th and that's the thing I always tell people for like when I talk about these things and I was like, you can try as hard as you want to plan your life. You can try as hard as you want to set up a five-year plan and all the other things. And I'm like, and it can all get shot immediately. And I'm not saying for a minute that I'm like, oh, thank God I had a brain injury. My life is different. <laughs> but had I not, I would still be doing what I was doing before and probably be fairly unfulfilled. And I'm like, I am I am here for this. I know exactly why I was put here to do what I'm doing. And I feel like I make a difference and I'm like proud of what I do and that my children get to watch me do this. And I get to make change in people's lives but mostly for me I'm like I'm able to say to other women that I don't work full-time I'm trying not to do it the same way you don't have to work you know 80 hours a week that there are other ways because especially women with like special need kids or women who have disabilities I'm like it can be very overwhelming and disappointing to look out into the world and not see anybody who can reflect you in any way shape or form at the same time as doing this I'm trying to be that person and I'm being like you don't have to be me but know that there are ways and it's not hopeless. That's the number one thing I hear from other brain injury survivors. But it does take a long time. Someone said to me, oh, like, how's your overnight success? I'm like, that took five years. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. But <laughs> overnight success was five years in the making. It just takes a long time, which people don't see all the work until they see the success part. So I'm not shy right. about talking about all the like all the crappy parts about it. Yeah, that's amazing. So where can people find you, find more information, get involved? Yeah. So I think that the best places to follow us are actually like because we focus on work. I'm on LinkedIn at Allison Venditti and Moms at Work is on LinkedIn as well. We have a LinkedIn group that we've just started that we're trying to connect people to get better jobs. Nice. We have a very large Facebook group that's very friendly. So it's Moms at Work and our website and Instagram is This is Moms at Work. We couldn't get Moms at Work. So it's This is Moms at Work. So oh. This is Moms at Work work. And then all our links are from our website as well. That's awesome. It's a shame that we need it in 2023, but I'm sure glad that you started it and that it's making changes. I say to everybody, and I'll say it until I'm done with Moms at Work, I'm like, my only goal with Moms at Work is to work myself out of a job. I would love yeah. to close down shop and be like, and done. Wage gap yeah. closed. <laughs> Everybody's fine. Got to move on to something, maybe do accounting degree, right? That's the goal. That's my ultimate yeah. goal is to not have this organization need to exist. But until that time, that's what we're here for. If you solve that wage gap, I don't know much about women's sports, but I do know that the wage gap in women's sports is astronomical. And we are involved in that. We are involved in that as well. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Because it's huge, but it's also like Allison Felix got her contract cut when she announced she was pregnant for Nike and spun out and started Anne Mother really to focus on that discrimination against women and specifically mothers in sport. I am so excited that we chatted. I'm sorry it took us three tries, but here we are. Well, the last one stuck. Yeah, I know. I keep like looking at this. I'm waiting for a notification. Don't but... jinx it. <laughs> so far, knock Not... on wood. Yeah, exactly. Well, well great it to connect. Been... Yeah, it's so nice to talk to you. I'm so thankful that you're doing this work and it was really interesting. So 
Perfect. We'll have to have you back in, talk about more wage gap issues. Oh, yeah. I can talk about it all the time. Unfortunately, like you shouldn't be like, yeah. oh, it was two, two podcast sessions on just about the wage gap and the ways that you can break it in 2023. But that's what I'm here for. Amazing. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll be in touch really soon. Great. You as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Thank you so much to today's guest and to everyone for listening. If you're enjoying the show, there are many ways that you can help our podcast grow. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Join us on our Patreon. Follow us on social media. Check out our merch store. Share our show with your friends. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please message us on IG or Facebook. Have a great week and thank you so much for your support. Bye. Bye. Why are they still here? I guess I'll just turn up that outro music. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.